I'm Tom. I'm Stephanie. This is a podcast about what bonds people and places together. Or as we like to call it, food glue. Let's talk about this show. Yeah. What What is this show? Who are we? Yeah. Why are we doing it? It's big, big questions. It's like the meaning of life, isn't it? 42. 42, yeah. Food glue. We've yeah. floated that name a few times. We tend to give us quizzical looks, but I think that's possibly a good thing. It seems to be quite marmite with my friends. They either love it or they hate it. Yep, similar with mine. I come across food glue because we both feel that food is what bonds communities together and brings mm-hmm. people together. And you were reading something recently that kind of summed it up really nicely. So a friend came to stay at my house recently and she'd been given a gift for Christmas of Stanley Tucci's new sort of food memoir. He's got some TV programmes out at the moment um, about food. I think it's called Stanley Tucci's Italy, actually. Food's, the book's really interesting. It's memoir but with recipes in it as you go and I really would like to make some but it's a lovely easy read short chapters you can pick it up and put it down and now he quotes another book in there but which I haven't read but I really enjoyed the paragraph and I think it speaks to exactly what we're feeling when we talk about food glue binding communities together. Stanley Tucci says there's a wonderful book called The Great Good Place by Ray Oldenburg. In it he writes about how we have two places that are crucial to us. Home is the first and work is the second but equally crucial because it allows us to function better in the first two is what he calls the third place these third places are bars cafes restaurants markets and they bring together people from all walks of life and allow for casual interactions with others with whom we don't work and with whom we don't live and i think that's really lovely because even if it's just sometimes saying hello or talking about the produce in the greengrocers or in the butchers it definitely gives you something else to talk about when you're at home or at work and makes you feel closer to your community and I think both Tom and I feel that's really important to us and that's what we want to share with other people. I think it makes complete sense and it speaks a lot to as you say how we feel about food. For a lot of people food is Mm. fuel or something they rush through. So I think we both feel privileged that we can enjoy food, have mm-hmm. the time to prepare food and mm-hmm. the opportunity to have food in, in good company mm-hmm. and spend time doing that. And I imagine for a lot of people that's not the case, but we certainly want to talk about how we feel about it. Yeah, and talk about those third places in our community. Nottingham's a really special place. You know, I've only lived here, oh, it's nearly my year anniversary Is that, probably. Oh, really only? Well, it's technically two, but a year of me being a homeowner. Okay. And being an official Nottingham resident. So you feel a bit more like you, this is your place now. Mm-mm. Okay. And I don't think I've lived anywhere quite like Nottingham before. And it really seems to be an, a nice um, incubator for all sorts of, I was going to say industry, but all sorts of creative industry, whether that be people making music or comedy or food or restaurants and people feel... People here seem to feel like they can have a go. This is our first episode of Food Glue, so I think we probably should very briefly introduce ourselves so you know who's talking. So I'm looking at Stephanie right now. This is like that bit in Bridget Jones where her mother says you have to introduce people with three interesting facts about them. Well, should we do that? Yeah. So my name's Stephanie, I'm in my mid-30s, I work in digital marketing by day for a car company, I'm not from Nottingham, I ran a bakery in London for six months, I do a little bit of running coaching by night, 
That sounds a bit seedy, doesn't it? Mm. In the in the evenings and afternoons and weekends <laughs> rather than by night. And I live in a suburb of Nottingham called Beeston with my other half, Liam, and I have a whippet called Marlow. Great. So I'm Tom. I'm in my mid-40s. God, that's crept up on me. I also live in Beeston in Nottingham. I'm a content creator and influencer in a completely different sphere to this one, which is why it's lovely doing a food-related podcast rather than what I normally do. I live with my partner Jo and her son with two greyhounds. I'm from, originally, Camden in North London, Mm -hmm. which was incredibly multicultural Mm. at the time. and I imagine is even more so now, something we'll probably talk about in a future episode, Mm. because that's where my love of food really came from. Mm. I used to jump out of planes, but I never got paid, just for fun. And I'm a triathlon coach in my spare time. And we've both met each other through outdoor activities and a love of food. And we thought we'd come together and talk about it. Yeah. And hopefully talk to other people who love being outdoors and eating. Not necessarily at the same time. Yeah. So we want to go and meet lots of independent Mm. food and drink makers in the area. Yeah. And talk to them about their plans and their businesses and what wonderful things they do. Yeah. And why. It's always interesting to hear other people's why. And why we're doing this is because we want to share some of those places with you and hopefully get more of you out and about and exploring some really wicked places in your local communities. It's really interesting. So Nottingham is a pretty old town. Mm. goes back to certainly pre-Viking times. Um, It was called Snottingham, which was the kind of land or the people of some bloke called Snot. You made is that. this true? Or did it's, you just make that up? This is absolutely true. <laughs> so in Viking times, it was called Snottingham. Oh, wow. And it was like, yeah, it was like the, the people of or the, or the land of Snot. <laughs> it was obviously... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There are Roman bits, mm-hmm. Roman communities, very near where we are, mm-hmm. where I'm in, Beeston, in Chilwell and Attenborough. They found mm-hmm. Stone Age, Iron Age, all that kind of old prehistory stuff, as well mm-hmm. as some Roman stuff. Mm-hmm. Early Anglo-Saxon, Lake Saxon, Viking, Norman, the modern castle, which is a manor house, but prior to that was a Norman castle built after the conquest. Mm. So it's quite an old town. Mm-hmm. It's uh, been a market town for, mm. I would imagine, thousands of years. So communities have come here to share and trade mm. and eat and sit in taverns and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. So it's always, I guess it always has been quite a melting pot. Bring in people mm-hmm. for a night out and to eat. And to enjoy themselves. It's very much that kind of... It is very much still almost a market town in its mm. traditional sense. As well as, yeah, the land of the people of Snot. Older than Robin Hood. Oh, much older than Robin Hood. Almost famous resident. Yeah, he probably never lived here because he would have brought up mm. Doncaster way. Nottingham, Nottingham is obsessed with Robin Hood, obviously, from the, from the tales. But the reality is it was probably up Scunthorpe, Doncaster way. <laughs> we can only claim the sheriff. <laughs> we can only, yes. Which is not as good a story. No. Filmed at uh, nobody's seeing me like demonstrating coming out of a lake. Need to paint a word picture. (laughs) Um, So the Pride and Prejudice BBC film with um, Colin Firth coming out of the lake um, was filmed at Chatsworth House, which is in the Peak District. Um, The family that still lived there, the Cavendish family, bought the kind of supermarket banana version. Is a Cavendish banana and was kind of introduced to the UK by their family. Um, but there was a blight on it a couple of years ago, which is why 
before just before lockdown i think there was you ended up seeing slightly weird straighter bananas in the supermarkets because there was such a big problem with the cavendish um banana and we're a bit brainwashed in the western world that that's the only kind of banana but if you've ever been to vietnam or somewhere like that you get little tiny bananas quite straight bananas you can get red bananas we need to start introducing that biodiversity in a bit more because otherwise our food sourcing is at risk that if there's a banana blight again that we've taken it down to such a narrow strain narrow strain of varieties of bananas that we could lose all the bananas that's one of the issues with things like wheat and potatoes as well and Dairy comes from pretty much a lot of the big supermarket dairy products. The mass-produced cheese and yogurts all come from one culture, one strain of dairy, of cow. You know, you see the Frisian cows now, which is why it's so important to buy locally produced cheese and stuff like that. But these four podcasts that I had in a row today were all from this book by Dan Saladino called Eating to Extinction, which is about these things. But they were focusing specifically on the fact that we pretty much only drink Robusta or Arabica coffee. And they have just managed to reintroduce some coffee, it's called like Stella Fina or something, which basically went extinct like 100 years ago. And they managed to get nine grams of beans off their first crop. Uh, And so they were literally (laughs) doing that, I can't do it, (laughs) noise, tasting the coffee and they managed to get that. Yeah, exactly. I can only, I would point out, I can only make that noise because I've currently got (laughs) Let this I've finished up. mine. Mine's empty. I can. Oh, it kind of works, even if it's empty. So they were tasting that coffee, which was super interesting. But the third podcast that had just started to talk about it, I was over it. And now I've just we're making another podcast to talk about the same thing. But it was interesting. Highly recommend heading back towards the food program. Listen to Dan Saladino talking about coffee varieties and trying to get some of the heritage varieties back. And now I'm absolutely gagging to get my hands on some to try it. So I'll be Googling all the different types he was talking about, um, ones from Sri Lanka and all sorts. Reminds me of, I was listening to a podcast. Mm. We do a lot of listening to podcasts called History Hack. And they had on someone talking about Mayan culture. Mm. And they were also talking about how the sweet corn or maize plant came about because mm. uh, they've tracked it back to its ancient ancestor and it's completely different mm. and they've got absolutely no kind of genetic pathway between this ancient plant and what we now know as sweet corn they just don't know how they did it wow. in, in, and in quite a short time wow. so they, they're genetically they're, you know genetically engineering by yeah. by breeding plants yeah. but they don't they just can't can't work out how they got from this place yeah to this place whatsoever it's also why people shouldn't be too upset about genetically modified food because we've actually been doing it for a really long time. Yeah, look at ancient grains yeah. or ancient wheat or ancient anything. It looks nothing like what we farm now. Have you ever had any other types of sweet corn? I've had the black, kind of the black and the red yeah. varieties. I couldn't tell you the names, but when I've been to like higher end Mexican or Ooh. South American restaurants, they've mm. had kind of, yeah, almost like heritage, mm. heritage sweet corn, not just the white, the yellow ones we have over here. When I was a child, I went to Canada over October half term. Might have had some sneaky days off school to make it worthwhile going to Canada over October half. Is it October half term or full term? I have to ask a child. Yeah, I don't know anymore. It's left my memory. And like, um, neither of us have school aged children. No, I got corrected this morning because I was talking about I'm going away in April and I said I've accidentally booked half term off. So I've screwed my boss over because she's got kids, but I didn't do it on purpose. And then somebody was like, it's not half term, it's Easter holidays. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so when the kids aren't at school and they get in my way. <laughs> Well, actually, they don't because I live next to a school, but it's quite nice in half term because there's none of them. I've digressed. So I went to Canada and <clears throat> it's very much like you go to the pumpkin patch and you go pumpkin picking and lots of very wholesome school holiday activities around the October time of year. 
and I remember having a number of different corn varieties and you can buy them as like fresh corn to eat and there was one called peaches and cream because the kernels were peach and white coloured um, and that was delicious but you could also buy them for popping corn yeah. obviously they all pop white well maybe that's not obvious but once they're popped they're all white okay interesting but you get them in the little bags of popping corn, like purple and almost blue and yellow and orange and red. And that's quite a cool way to buy it and then watch it all transform science in front of you in the pot into... And we've got, as you say, we've got very used to almost single varieties mm. of these things in the Western world. Or certainly mm. in, in the UK where we're based, you know, generally eat the same tomato and the mm. same cucumber variety. And it all gets a bit boring. I remember my granddad's cucumbers were all small and knobbly and weird looking, but mm. actually tasted of something. Um, you've just reminded me talking of tomatoes. Have you been watching the series Reacher on? Yes. Yeah, I think there's only one series so far. So far, yeah, it's been and renewed. So we have one episode left to watch, but there's a character in there who there's a situation with tomatoes. No spoilers here, and he says, "I only buy this variety of tomatoes. So next time you come, make sure you buy the extra delicious. Let's call them. I've made that up." And it's actually one of the very few television programmes I've watched recently where they eat in the show. And eating while you're filming is hard. Getting the continuity, you know, if you take a bite out of a sandwich and then you have to cut and redo it, somebody's got to bring you another sandwich. And it made me really think, actually, whoever the writers were have really written food into that show. Like, they kind of go to a chicken joint and, yeah, they specifically name this type of tomato and... There's lots of eating in it, and I wonder if that's added to my enjoyment of the show. I think so. I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not spoiling anything by saying the reason the character is in the town in the first place is to mm. eat their famous pie, mm. and it's almost a running joke throughout the entire series that <laughs> all he really wants to do is just turn up, listen to some music, yeah. and eat his pie. Yeah, and things just keep getting in the way. Yeah, and so I, I, yeah, I think that's added to my enjoyment of the show is the kind of it's not a foodie show. I love foodie shows but having a food element to it. And actually, I was almost watching to try and catch them out in this scene where they're eating sandwiches. I was like, oh, are they going to get that continuity right on this? And they, they seem to get it bang on. It would be interesting to read uh, some verbatim from them about filming that scene who and whether a, that was particularly challenging. Who is the food continuity expert? If you watch The Big Bang Theory, mm, there's obviously a lot of scenes yeah. where they're either... One of the nice things about that show is it shows food being eaten as a community, mm. as a group, as a gang, as an extended family. But going back to your point about continuity, Continuity and series and, and filming food eating. They're either in the cafeteria eating mm-hmm. or they're at, on their sofas at home yeah, eating. Exactly. Now, if you actually look at what they're doing, they're doing busy work with their forks. Mm. And if they do eat something, they might eat a tiny bit of tomato. Yeah, nothing uh, goes in their mouth. Nothing very... Yeah. And if it does, it's, if it does, it's not going to disturb the continuity of what's yeah. in, those, in their plates or in their mm. bowls or in their takeaway containers. But I think Big Bang, one of the things I really liked about Big Bang Theory is a lot of the pivotal scenes are also based around food at the breakfast table or they're yeah. sitting around on their sofas or they're in the cafeteria at work doing their busy work. You'll, you'll never look at it the same again. You'll just see them moving their forks around. <laughs> we're going to be watching that. And that Everything really we're going to watch out. between now and next time we record, we're going to be looking at food and scenes and see whether they actually eat it, which they certainly do in Reacher, but you're absolutely right. You know, food's so pivotal to society and how we come together as people. So it's important in film and TV, but trying to make sure that like the pizza's not finished if they've got four um, takes to cut, to four cuts to take. I don't know the quite the right four takes there. Yeah. Four takes to cut um, into something coherent. Yeah then it makes it really complicated. I've heard some good stories of people, you know, saying that by the end of the day, they were sick of whatever. Like, you can never eat it again because of 
how many pizzas they have to have. Yeah. You have to take a bite every cup. And every bit of cold and horrible. And every bit of pepperoni and topping has got to be in exactly the same place as well. And all cooked to the same standard. It's a nice digression, actually. I went a few weeks ago to, um, I think it's called Pizza Misu in Nottingham. Have you heard of it? No. Um, it's down in Hockley. And I've heard rave reviews. It's like best pizza in Nottingham. Really excited to go. We went as a big group and they made us have their all-you-can-eat pizza deal because there was like 20 of us. I think it's 20 quid a head for pizza and chips. They make you have chips. <laughs> make you. <laughs> it just all comes out. But I actually found it really disappointing and I think I'm going to have to go again and order off the menu because they basically dumped 20 pizzas on the table and chips and your first slice was really nice. And then because of all the trying to pass around, like, what flavour have you got down there? No, there's veggies down here. Can you pass that one? You just had a lot of cold pizza. See, I feel, I'm going to segue from this. Mm. I feel a bit like Smithy in Gavin and Stacey. Oh, yeah. And there's a very famous scene in Gavin and Stacey, the comedy series, where yeah. they all order Indian takeaway. Yeah. And the, the normal way of eating Indian takeaway in that household is to have a little bit of everything. Oh. Oh, and Smithy absolutely loses it because he's ordered two buck, two duck booners and he wants to eat his two duck booners. Yeah. But everyone else wants a bit of his duck booner, but no. My duck booner. It's my duck booner. If you wanted a duck booner, you should have ordered one. And I'm always, sometimes I'm a bit like that. And it's about a tapas restaurant yeah. or having a meze. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, oh, I, want, I want my food. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit, maybe a bit selfish about eating the food that I want to eat sometimes. But it just reminded me of that. I'd been a bit. I want that pizza, please. No, I found it really stressful and I probably ate a lot more cold pizza than I wanted to because I was like, I need to try all of the pizzas and I haven't had my own pizza and I'm an only child and this is a very stressful experience and has that person over there had their fair share of pizza? And yeah, I feel like I need to go again and order one pizza, enjoy it while it's hot and have a different experience because, yeah, cold... And I think because they were kind of rushing them out, they were kind of getting a bit cheesy, greasy. So they weren't quite. They weren't. They weren't hot enough. And yeah. Then, and then left. Yeah. See, pizza. Pizza to be really good needs to be. Yeah. Cooked really hot. I think they were in really a panic because there were so many of us, and then put. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the best food experience of my life, but I wonder if I need to give them a second chance when there's not a big group. Catering for a big group is hard. Yes. But I arguably think they could have done themselves a favour by maybe bringing five pizzas out at a time, sliced it up. We would have passed them round the table. Rather than doing everything. Like dumping way too many on the table at once and us all being a bit like, well, there's loads of veggies down this end and you've given us a meat pizza. So it's just left there now. Yeah, it was it, interesting. So interesting how, experience. How many people were there in the group? Probably 20. So that's a lot of people yeah. to deal with. And if, they'd, if they'd held pizzas for the other pizzas while they were cooking and then yeah. and then we're getting a bit panicky, as you can, you can imagine, they're getting yeah. a bit panicky in the kitchen because they want it out. Yeah. Whereas and, I yeah. almost feel like even just one pizza being handed at the end of the table and passed down until it ran out would have meant, yeah, I don't know, it was a bit not my favourite restaurant experience. So we'll see again. I'm all right with sharing if it's agreed beforehand. <laughs> like Liam and I, if we go for a curry, we'll happily share a naan. Yeah. Naan and rice is shareable. It's a sundry, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's sundries. <laughs> sundries are shareable. So sundries are shareable. Main course. You're allowed like a fork. I think you're allowed like... Yeah. You know, but that's it, really, for me. Yeah. How do we feel about vegetables at a curry house? Well, I often will order... If I'm getting a curry on, like, not with my other half, like, in a big group, 
I'll often get a vegetable biryani because you get so much bang for your buck. You get your little veggie curry, little, you know, nice rice for like next to no money. If I'm going just with Liam, I'll often get... So who's Liam? For Liam the people is that... my other half. Okay. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about him in the future. <laughs> but so if I'm going with my partner for an Indian either takeaway or if we're sitting in, I normally order two sides for my main. Okay. So I'll order a dal of some description and then some sort of paneery spinachy nice. thing. Or sometimes I go off piste if there's something aubergine. I'm putting a face at aubergine. Aubergine is not my favourite thing. I love aubergine. And then I'll do what, like, Liam will get something classic, like a korma or a dalfrezi or something, and probably meaty, which I won't want, but I'll dip my little bit of naan in the sauce just to have a little taste, see if it's any good. So that would be a red light for me. Little dip, just a little I'll dip. I have to prearrange. <laughs> Stealing my sauce. <laughs> We're recording today in Tom's recording studio, which sounds very professional, but it's actually a shed. And, well, it's a very nice shed. He's just gone to get a cookbook, a, a prop for our podcast recording, because we're going to be talking to you about Cookbook Corner. Um, both really keen cooks, and that's something we want to share with you, is not just the places we go out to eat, but what we're eating inside. I much prefer real cookbooks than um, cooking recipes from the interwebs. I'm lucky I've got a tablet with, like, a pen. So if I'm cooking and I've got food all over my hands, I can pen through my screen without putting dirty fingers all over it. This might be because my other half's a little bit particular and having dirty fingerprints all over the tablet was upsetting for him. So yeah, I've got this little pen thing now, which is quite handy. Um, you can't really I just even... prefer a book. I always write in all my cookbooks. So if I'm referring back to them, I've got notes. And actually, it's been quite fun recently. Some of my, two of my friends have got the same Anna Jones cookbook as me. So we often like compare notes after which ones we've made and which ones we haven't, or which ones we like and which ones we don't like. A couple of years ago, two of my friends bought the same cookbook as me at the same time because we were so excited about it coming out. And one of the recipes is just plain wrong. And so we all annotated our books to say, don't make this because it's wrong. It's one of the joys of cookbooks is you get to write things in them. Hopefully not just, this is wrong, <laughs> with the big lines through well, it. We get to see the kind of the saffron stain of, mm. from your thumb from the last yeah. time you made it, or something I'll bring up when I go through my recipe. So we thought we'd talk through a recipe that we've cooked this week, Talk mm. about maybe talk about the cookbook. Some of the cookbooks are going to be recurring, because I use this one quite a lot. Mm. And then maybe, you know, how the recipe went, and then any additions or changes we might make to that recipe. And these are generally things we cook for our family or extended family. So it's not just heating up beans on toast for ourselves over mm. lunchtime. It's Stephanie, would you like to take me through, or take the viewers through? Is it really naughty that for my first cookbook corner I'm not actually using the cookbook? Well, they can judge. But I want to talk about the concept in general. So I actually, there's a company that's been running down in London and down South Rages called Oddbox, where they rescue misshapen vegetables or surplus vegetables or stuff that would otherwise go to waste, um, especially, you know, with prices changing and it's been unseasonably warm this spring so British cauliflowers have come early and supermarkets aren't ready for them and they've recently launched in Nottingham um, which is great because there's lots of local vegetable growing around here lots of kale grown in Lincolnshire Leicestershire Nottinghamshire um, so I got my first odd box last week um, which meant I couldn't really plan my meals because goodness only knows what I was gonna get so I opened my 
boxer. And end of February, I got Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so my brain was like, what uh, What am I going to do with these Brussels sprouts? But I also had a box of my favourite tofu, which is the tofu, the more O's brand. Really good because you don't have to press it. So if anyone's dubious about tofu, I recommend you try that brand next. And so I just Googled Brussels sprouts and tofu and found a recipe for roasted Brussels sprouts and baked tofu. And it was great. It made me do stuff with the veg that I would never have done before. So you did, the recipe was pure Brussels sprouts, but I actually added, you just sort of chop the ends off, cut them in half, toss them in a little bit of olive oil, salt and pepper, put them in a roasting tin. I had also in the odd box some carrots. So I chucked a chopped up carrot, chopped up small in there. And other top tip I learned recently is that you can eat cauliflower leaves. I did not know that. And they are best uh, roasted or stir fried. So I thought I'd chuck a few in and if they're weird, doesn't matter. So I cut up about half the leaves off the cauliflower, pop them in. So that goes in the oven to roast off. And then the tofu, I'd never done this before either. Chop it into tiny little pieces, put it on a little bit of kitchen roll just to take the last bit of moisture out of it. Then toss it in another roasting tin in olive oil and soy sauce. Then sprinkle with corn flour and keep shaking the tofu until there's no corn flour left. Okay. Yep. It like soaks it all up. And then you just shove everything in the oven for half an hour, turn it halfway through. And then I served it with noodles. In the recipe, there was a sauce recipe, but I actually just bought some from a great Nottingham supplier called Gigi's at the market, which was a tahini and soya sauce. So then I just took all the roasted bits out of the oven, put them on top of the noodles, put the sauce over, some sesame seeds, dreamy. And I've never had roasted Brussels sprouts. I've never had roasted cauliflower leaves. And I was a happy chicken. What? what? And the tofu was super crunchy. In fact, Liam asked me halfway through what it was. That's cool. <laughs> What's this? Because I eat tofu mm. a lot more than I used to. I eat a lot more alternative protein sources these days for various reasons. And yeah, tofu used to really turn me off. It's got a lot better. It's got a lot. Mm. And the texture's got a lot mm. better. As much as you talked about, it comes pre-pressed. It's much more interesting. But it just tends to need a lot more, a bit more preparation to it. You can't mm. just chop up a bit of beef and whack it in you need to do stuff to make it interesting was this one was quick enough that yeah. you didn't have to premeditate the meal because we normally marinate mm. for a long time to get mm. some stuff into it but we have also used the, used the corn flour trick mm. when we're grilling tofu mm. the same thing so i'm looking at a very pink book which a lot of you may be familiar with which is the hairy biker's great curries if you're familiar with the hairy bikers from the mm. tv and this is a really good accessible curry book Sometimes they kind of say use curry powder and they don't really tell you where the curry powder comes from mm. because it's in a previous recipe. Mm. But generally it's they're all from scratch. Generally you will also using whole seeds from start, roast your seeds off, grind your seeds to make your own paste and your own base up. I haven't done that for ages, I need to do that again. Absolutely phenomenal. We did this during lockdown. Yeah. So we'd be like, okay, well let's do something. Yeah. And one of the things we decided to do was just eat a lot of really cool food mm. um, especially curries mm. and now we can't order out curry mm. because we pretty much think our curry is better than I'm sure if you went to a really nice high-end fine dining mm. Indian restaurant or they'd be fantastic mm. but it's certainly better than the, the shop-bought plastic mm. curry stuff that most curry has seem to use um, so yeah from scratch and the one I'm going to talk about today was an all-in-one lamb dansat before you start just on the grinding thing it sounds like a real faff but actually we when we got a new coffee grinder we kept our old one and that's now the spice grinder yeah we've got a little so one we've got the same yeah we've got a big, one. sometimes a, depending on how fine we want it sometimes we've got a couple of pestle mortars yeah. and also from feeling like i need to get some aggression out we can just bash them just roast them off it takes a minute 
Mm. We've got we've got a little cast iron pan we use. Mm. We say ponzi, isn't it? Because um, <laughs> otherwise that that taste can get into everything. Mm. Um, and then we've got yeah, you'll need a if you're going to grind them, don't put them in your nice fancy coffee grinder that you use every day because you'll you might like masala coffee. <laughs> Chai, chai coffee. Chai coffee, but you might not. So, But we've got a little special little spice mm. grinder we use as well. So it works really well. And then sometimes when we're doing these, we can make a big batch up, mm-hmm. use five times the amount, mm. make a big batch up, and then you've got it and put it in an airtight, mm. get them in a jar, and, you, and you're sorted. Mm. In fact, I used that mix this morning with my breakfast eggs. Oh, which nice. Was delicious. Mm. Really good. Very. So it's quite exciting. So this one, an all-in-one lamb dan sack. So that's one pot, lentils, and lamb all at once. Uh, sometimes, some parts, times of the year, lamb can be quite a cheap cut because it's off, it's out of season, and people don't really want it. So you can get it reasonably cheap. And because it's an all-in-one pot and it takes a long time, you don't need an expensive cut. You can get a fairly cheap cut of lamb. I know nothing about bits of meat. So, what kind of, what do you ask the butcher for? Like stewing lamb? Yeah. Um, you can go for like leg lamb. You can get shoulders always a bit cheaper than mm. leg. Talk to your butcher and see what he's got. Mm. It's always worth going to a butcher rather than mm. going to a supermarket. Talk to your butcher, see what see what's mm. available. He might have stuff he just can't get rid of. Yeah. But if you're going to stew it for four hours, you don't need prime leg. You know, otherwise that stuff's going to get particularly all that will get wasted as well, which is a real shame. If mm-hmm. you're going to if you're going to I think if you're going to eat an animal, try and eat as much of it as possible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the other thing that's really nice about this recipe is we got a new pressure cooker, and so pressure cooking was a thing they used to do. I remember my mum. In the early 80s, with a pressure cooker always on batch cooking stuff. Mm. That seems to have, for a lot of people, disappeared. Yeah, but in the 80s, didn't everything just come out (laughs) grey? I just remember grey stuff. Um, We've got our pressure cooker. It's not one of those kind of aluminium ones you might be familiar with. It's It's from Afghanistan, and it's made to go over an open fire. So you can put it over a gas ring, but it's got a round, pretty much round bottom, so you can chuck it on the coals of an open Mm. fire or chuck it in an oven. An old brick mm. oven or something along those lines. It almost looks like some kind of torture device. It's got these big screws and screw handles and a bar which comes down. It's amazing. Um, luckily, we got it just before the US pulled out of Afghanistan. Oh. So it came from Afghanistan. It's an amazing thing. It came from one of my favourite YouTube channels, um, Simon Bloke in the Woods. He got one to go and cook on campfires. So you can have a big fire, sit around the campfire, enjoy mm. yourself, and then put your pressure cooker mm. on the embers. Just leave it for mm. an hour because that's all it takes for pressure mm. cooker. And you're done. So pretty much everything goes in there. So normally these things, particularly this kind of thing, would take two, three hours in the oven. Also, it uses a lot of fuel up as well. For a lot of people, it's inex- quite inaccessible to have the oven on for four hours for a curry. Yeah. This way, you can have it on for 45, 45 minutes or yeah. have it over over a, a hob for 45 minutes and then you're done. So it yeah. saves a lot of time yeah. and a lot of energy and a lot of everything else. And it comes out amazingly. So your really cheap cut of meat comes out, you know, soft, tender and everything else mm. in 45 minutes. Mm. It's almost a lost art, pressure cooking. Now, this is a really good book. Despite a lot of curry books, the spice mixes have been really toned down mm. for the kind of mainstream audience. This isn't that bad. We still find we have to add probably a third to a half as much again. I was going to say, <laughs> I often, if it says two cloves of garlic, garlic, I put three in a recipe. And if it says half a chilli, I put a whole chilli in. Pretty, I like my flavours. This isn't quite as bad. Yeah. It's better than most. Mm. Um, we still add a bit more. Mm. Uh, not necessarily the heat. But mm. I like a lot of spice mm. and, and good for you as well. And taste and flavour. So yeah, so that was. So I recommend, highly recommend, great curries by the Hairy Bikers. What did you serve with it? We had saffron rice, nice, which was um, with some sultanas and flaked almonds through it, what and lots treat. of butter in the rice as well. Mm. Just started doing that again. Just putting a little bit of butter or spread through the rice. I did it the other day because I'd sort of cooked, and the people I was cooking for were running late, and I just wanted to keep the rice ticking over so I just put a bit of um freshly ground pepper and butter in and left it on 
I mean, I've got an induction hob, so I left it on a number one <laughs> just to keep warm. And I was, it also keeps the grain separate. Yeah. Yeah, really flake nice. it through, it's really good. Mm. Um, so that was delicious. And we've got a like seven kilo bag of, of rice we got from the Asian Fancy supermarket. Rice. Is it that VT or I something? I don't know. Just, mm. It's just a lot cheaper when you buy it in 10 kilo bags mm. than Absolutely. 500 gram little ones from, from the supermarket. I actually get my rice and stuff um, from what, what my land would have called a scoop and save. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, in Nottingham, in the shopping centre, I guess where it was built, there probably used to be an outdoor market. And so they've kept what you can imagine being an outdoor market, but it's inside upstairs. Quite random. Yeah, it is random. It's like what would be sort of a big unit in a shopping centre. You walk in, there's lots of tiny little units. So there's a butcher's in there, I think, and, um, you know, like a card shop, but the kind of cards your nan would buy. And is there a fabric shop in there? Yeah, several. And all sorts in there. But actually, I found online there's Madhouse Nut Centre, which is a really random name. But anyway, they do everything loose, scoopable, and she delivers it to me in paper bags so I like you know feel I'm saving the planet in a little bit by doing my everything loose and I get all my nuts and seeds and rice and everything from them and I love their produce and actually I think often the herbs and stuff from there are way fresher than they are if you buy them from the super dried herbs and spices I sometimes don't have to add extra when I've had them from her because I think right. if she buys them in bulk they're quite fresh yeah so yeah I really like the stuff I get from them and I mean they also do all the chocolate covered fruits and this incredible licorice fudge oh so sometimes I just use the rice as an excuse to get licorice bread. <laughs> Might add that to my next shop, actually, put it on the list. I'll have 500 grams of all these sensible things like almonds and chia seeds and also some licorice fudge. Thank you very much. Secrets are revealed. <laughs> so that was Cookbook Corner. Mm. With a small digression. Small digression. Oh, I think there'll be lots of digressions on this show. Which third places have you been to this week, Tom? Well, Stephanie, we went to the same third place. Oh, yeah. We went to the garage, which mm-hmm. is near me in Eastern kind of stroke Chilwell in Nottingham, just just down the road. And it's the garage itself is the old Barton's bus garage. Mm-hmm. It's one of the oldest, if not the oldest, motorised bus service in the world, mm. if not the UK. And now it's and now they've moved their they've sold their bus business many many years ago, mm-hmm. but the building's still there. Mm-hmm. So they have a kind of historical bus collection, historical cycles collection, but they also use it regularly as a, I'm going to call it community space. It is a market or it is a, a food market or they have gigs and comedy things there. But we went to one to watch the rugby. Yay! Um, they had what they call their street food smoke up um, and also a big screen showing Six Nations, bit of a rugby fan over here having lived down south for a long time and they were showing the England match so we went down to watch grab some great food have some beer and it was actually a really lovely atmosphere but of course rather than just going to a pub and having a pint and watching the rugby Tom and I wanted to go and have street food while we watched the rugby um, which was even better and they had maybe it actually wasn't too much choice which I think was right they had maybe five trucks yeah although I mean, I know it was late in the afternoon, but I wouldn't have minded a coffee van. That's true. But anyway, they had a crepe van. Yep. Was the first one. Madame Crepe, uh, who was doing cups of tea as well as crepes. And then it was... Hmm. Poutine. Poutine, yes. Which is a Canadian dish of chips with gravy and cheese curd, which all sounds pretty horrible, but it's actually delicious. I didn't think I was going to like the cheese curd, but it's great actually when it's like warm and yeah, and I don't really like gravy on things either, but it's a quite a, it's not like a Sunday roast gravy. No. 
basically you've got to try it. Don't knock it till you tried it with poutine. They pop up all over the place in Nottingham. Uh, power to the poutine, it's called, isn't it? There's quite a lot of poutine. Power to the poutine. There's quite a lot of poutine spreading, I think, at the moment. It's because mm. it's, it's it's a good hub choice. You need a very small kitchen or a very limited set of kitchen yeah. equipment in order to produce it. You need a fryer. You need a fryer. And your gravy. You don't, need a, microwave. you don't really need a lot. A hot plate and a fryer and you're done. I think they only had three different types, didn't they? So there's normally like a plain poutine, which is what I just described. So chips, gravy, bean curd. And then they normally have one with some sort of meat and one with some sort of vegetable on it. So and like like you'd get loaded fries basically. Then there was I can't even think when they were was it Sri Lankan, Sri Lankan. or something Sri Lankan food. Yeah. Which I had their jackfruit number. I enjoyed it, but I wish I'd tried something else. Okay. I don't think it was their best dish. Then there was was it Zenzero's doing the pizza? Zenzero's doing pizzas. Did they have you? Did you go to that the pizza no. stand? I had it before there. Do they have a wood-fired pizza oven in their movable truck? Yes. Wow. So that's pretty cool. So yeah. they, they do really good pizza, generally, because it, pizza really should be cooked very hot and very fast mm. to get it. To stop, as you talked about earlier, to stop the cheese being all greasy, it mm. just needs to, to cook. Mm. So it's... For, like sec- 30 seconds, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can do it, yeah, in. Um, we're done. discussing this whilst I'm looking at Tom's pizza oven and thinking, in the summer we need to do Oh, that. we're going to have go. some fun. Have a good go. Um, Get some good crackling fire noises. So we've got on a wood fired pizza oven in the garden. Again, very lucky. Um, need to burn, really. We're not. It's such a faff to use. We only tend to use it when there's big groups around. And obviously, mm. the last couple of years, no big groups with with the plague. It's not been. Possible. I'd love to have a go as well if it's on. Like, get a loaf of bread in there. Oh yeah, totally. We put stews and baked bread and. Oh, and we could put some brownies in there at the end. Weber have got a good barbecue brownie recipe that you can shove in at the end and like leave in the embers. And you almost want to just give everyone a biscuit and let them scoop it. Put the curry in in the, in the pressure cooker, chuck it mm. on the embers. If you're going to do that burn, get it to... We've had it up to about 700 yeah. degrees. And it will do a pizza in Cent- 30. Centigrade? Yeah. I, d- I don't even imagine it. The whole thing goes white inside, all the bricks. Wow. All the fire bricks glow, start glowing white because they get so hot. Wow. Um, yeah, it'll do a pizza in 30 seconds. If if And that's slow. So that was great. There was the American Smokehouse. Mm-hmm. Which was, I had loaded fries, very typical loaded fries. It was very nice. I'm not sure how much work they really put into their mm. stuff. It's very much assembled. Sto- sto- assembled from store-bought sources. I think they did a bit of chopping on some of the veg on top, but very much could see it was packet, you know, it was the packet cheese, it was the packet. I think they smoke their own meats though, don't they? I think, is that their USP? Yeah, I think it's, so the, the pork they put on top, mm. was that, their, I think their pulled pork was their pulled pork. Obviously mm. they do that off off-site they mm-hmm. do that yeah back at home but the rest of it was i felt a bit like okay it would be nice if you'd made your own it was i'm not let me get on it was very tasty yeah probably too much salt yeah that's i don't eat a lot of salt and i enjoyed it a lot i just felt i would have been better if i would if, I, if i'd hidden the fact that all the sources had come from the cash and carry yeah i might have felt a bit better about it if I put them in squeezy bottles first yeah i might have felt a bit more like oh I just felt a little bit let down but it was very tasty mm-hmm. and i did probably think i enjoyed the most um and then there was a bengali street food vendor next to them which i also went to so i had what they they called a naan witch so a sandwich but in a naan bread didn't even see you eat this you didn't want me to steal it i I inhaled it while i was waiting in the beer queue (laughs) but i had a paneer naan uh, chili paneer naan witch which was really good actually really enjoyed that i don't think i've ever been to the garage and had bad food i also had snuck back and had a nutella crepe with probably as much whipped cream as there was crepe, which made me very happy. 
I mean, it's basically just yeah, delicious, delicious sugar. Yeah. Um, then they also had a fairly extensive bar mm. of real ale, craft ale. Nothing alcohol free. Okay, interesting point. Which shocked me because I'd been to the garage the week before and they had the really good Thornbridge alcohol free beer. So I'd said to my other half who doesn't drink, it's fine, they've got that great Thornbridge beer you like. And I think he almost threw a paddy until I went, don't worry, I'm going to get you a cup of tea. And ran off and came back with a cup of tea. Should and have then... nipped the co-op down the road. And oh, got yeah, I should have just snuck some n- in. Snuck some punk, punk AF in. I didn't even think of that. Well, next oh, time. Yeah, we'll next, time. We'll next, just, time. I'll just, next time I'll just take it with we'll me. Or just tell him. I did tell him. I said, why haven't you got any of that Thornbridge left? And you went, we sold out. And I was like, <laughs> Everyone well, drank it. Yeah. It's quite rare to get. <laughs> I've tried a lot of alcohol-free beers, and I find it quite rare to find one I actually like. So that would have been good. But in general, it was lovely, and we had a good group of friends yeah. from various places. Yeah, it was a weird little mashup, wasn't it? Actually, <laughs> but it was lovely to have you know people coming together, just like we've been talking about at the third place. Yeah, our little community coming together to for a common cause. Yeah, which was allegedly to watch the rugby, but was actually just to hang out and see yeah. each other. And like some people don't really care about the rugby, were there for the food and to hang out with everybody else. And I been at a um, run in the morning and bumped into somebody who said he was watching the rugby and I said oh well we're going down to this place Will who lives locally and he bought his friend and we managed to take over a table and yeah it was really great I had to double park my beer yeah because the queue was so long yeah but it was moving quick wasn't it and that's like the proper rugby atmosphere you arrive back at the table with two pints and yeah. one goes hooray do you know what at, last time I went to the proper rugby at Leicester which was fun I went to see Harlequins versus Leicester I was I think the only Harlequins fan in my stand sat right at the back, but shouted proudly. And if you've never been to a rugby match, everybody sits mixed in and it's like good banter. Like I just kept getting hilarious banter from, you know, being almost one of the only women in the stand as well in my Quinn shirt. Come on, you Quins at the back of the stand. Um, Anyway, they now have, and this must be new, stacking. So the pint glasses have got handles and the handles stack. So you can carry four or five pints in a one-er. That is smart yeah i'm quite i want to investigate this it was really good and um, rugby is like the only place i have to drink Guinness at the rugby i don't know why it's just the rule so what do we think overall of the garage um loved it could be warmer it is in a big old depot bus yeah, depot which at this time of year is chilly so they could put patio heaters in i guess mm. there might be some issues with gas heaters mm. inside a new building though i can sort and I think they're a victim of their own success. I almost think they need... It's well known that they do the street food smoke-up and so a lot of people were just there to eat the food and have a sit-down and kind of didn't realise that there was going to be a load of rowdy people taking up seats to watch the rugby. So they almost need to make the rugby bit maybe standing and have the seats... You know, have a standing bit to watch the rugby and seats Well, they're doing else. the England-France game. They're doing tickets. Mm, that's that's, yeah, tic- good that's idea. ticketed good idea. rather than... Just yeah. turn up because it was busy. And we could always do the street food bit outside, like people can come in and get takeaway. But the food was amazing and yeah. I would anything that I ate, I would try other stuff or try the same thing from the stalls again, um, for sure. Yeah, I absolutely enjoyed everything I had. Mm. Um I think your point about no alcohol free beer mm. is quite a good one, particularly in today's climate. Yeah. Where a lot of people don't want to drink. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. So in general, yeah, brilliant. So that was how we got on at the garage. Mm. So thanks for listening to Food Glue. We've been your hosts, Tom and Stephanie. You can obviously follow us on Facebook. Instagram. In- Are we going to do Twitter? Is that old now? We might no, have to get on TikTok. <laughs> 
on the TikTok. <laughs> on the TikToks. I'm a bit old for TikToks. <laughs> but you can also find us on all of your normal podcast networks. Um, please like, share, review, tell your friend, tell your neighbour, tell your dog where we are. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Most importantly, keep cooking. Yeah. And we'll see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Food Glue. Please subscribe to us and share us with all of your friends, family, your nan, your dog, whoever. We would love to hear from you via our Instagram at foodgluepod or you can email us at foodgluepod at gmail.com. And if you've got some spare time, please do rate and review us on your favourite podcast player because it helps other people to find us.